Good morning. It's good to see everybody today on this Laity Sunday. Uh, I've, I've had the, either the privilege, the opportunity, I'm not sure I want to go any farther than that, um, to help prepare for this service. And one thing I, do, I want to uh, indicate to you is how important the laity is within the life of the church. When I started preparing for this, I started looking around and we started looking at all the little details that go into preparing for a worship service. And I realized how little Arthur does. I mean, I didn't mean it quite that way. Well, kind of I did, but uh, how many people comprise a worship service? And how many people are com comprise the laity? We have the choir, we have the ushers, we have the the acolytes, we have the people that are helping the acolytes, we have the audio and the visual people, we have the people that count the money. It's, there's just a multitude of services that are provided by laity, people like you and me. And for all of that, I would like to thank you. Uh, and, and this service is to accentuate the importance of laity within the body of Christ. A few announcements for today. Um, it's, it's Pink Sunday. You probably can pick that up by just looking around at, at some of the clothes on people. It's, it's in its honor breast cancer awareness. And I think all of us that have, have had anybody that's been touched with breast cancer, we know how important that is. Sunday night programs are continuing tonight for the kids and the adults. There's a kids choir from 5.30 to 6.15 then a Bible study, and then mission kids from 6.15 to 7. And then we all have an opportunity to, for a mission opportunity called Operation Christmas Child. And there are some, there's some information in the back of the narthex. You'll see a little Christmas tree, and they have some information if you're, you'd be interested in, in participating in that. And then also a reminder that October 31st from 4 to 6.30 is our... Uh, annual Halloween carnival trunk or treat. Um, that's when you decorate the trunk of your car or the bed of your pickup and don't make it too scary but then the the children from our church and and maybe the, a little around the community can come in a safe environment to trick-or-treat. Also basketball registration is on the church website and the deadline to register is November 1st. Youth meets tonight. There is a ski trip uh, meeting at 545. Otherwise, uh, we have the regular youth at regular times. And then I had a, a note slip to me today or that there is an, one announcement that's not in the bulletin, 
that our very own Jessica Krim has been engaged to be married. Um, and I would like, as a congregation, would like to just congratulate her and offer her all of our blessings. Now, let us worship.
remain standing as we affirm our faith to God with the Apostles' Creed found on page 881. I believe in God, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, children would please come forward for a moment with Allison Duncan. Good morning. Hi. How are you guys this morning? Good. Well, did you hear Mr. Craig say what today is? Anybody? Well, it's Breast Cancer Awareness Day, but it's also Lady Sunday here in our church. And what Lady Sunday is, is where the members of the church actually take part in the service. And as members of the church, we serve God. Is that right? Well, I've got a little example here I'm going to show you. What is this right here? A puzzle. It's a pretty big puzzle. And I need a couple of people to help me because I've got some missing pieces, don't I? So I've got a couple of pieces here. I might get you guys to help me put it together. I'm missing a couple of pieces. Can you figure out where they go? Thank you. Good job. And I've got one more. Oh, actually two more. I'm missing one. Do you guys see another one? Did I give another one out? I don't see it anywhere. Well, I'll, I'll let you know a little secret. I left the, the missing piece out on purpose. Because if you think about this puzzle, it's like a big picture. And our, the big picture is kind of like our church. And we all serve God in our church. But sometimes there are things that are missing, and we want everyone to serve God in our church right? So if we have a couple of missing pieces, we may not be always be doing what God has intended for us to do, and that's to, to serve him with our talents. And each and every one of you are different with your talents and how you can serve God. And our scripture today comes from Corinthians, and it talks about being one body and serving God as the whole body. And each of us make up the body of the church. So what I want you to think about is how you can serve God with your talents and your gifts every day, okay? Let us pray. Dear God, thank you so much for giving us this day and allowing us to take part in the, the worship service as church members. And we ask that, you know, you just guide us and, you know, speak to us and let us know which ways we can serve you best. We ask that you be with everyone today and 
and continue to bless us and let us know how we can serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Old Testament reading comes from Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 10. It can be found on page 1169 in your pew Bible. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. Please stand for the responsive reading printed in the bulletin. From the beginning, God entered into covenant with the human family, with Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Moses, Deborah, Ruth, and Jeremiah. Through the baptism, Jesus Christ calls us into the covenant and makes us ministers of Christ's righteousness. All Christian ministry is Christ's work of outreaching love. It demonstrates a common life of gratitude and devotion, witness and service, celebration and discipleship. The church, as the community of the new covenant, participates in Christ's ministry of grace. It stretches out to human needs, prayer or service may convey God's love and ours. And our ministry of servanthood is this ultimate concern. That all may be renewed in the image of their creator, and that all Christians are called to minister in deeds and words that heal and free. lesson today is Romans 12, 1 through 8. 
found on page 1763 in your pew Bible. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is mercy, let him do it cheerfully.
Can I get an amen for that one? <laughs> Let us pray. All things come from you, O God, and with gratitude we return them to you what is yours. You created all that is, and with love formed us in your image. When our love failed, yours remained steadfast. You gave your only Son, Jesus Christ, to be our Savior. All that we are and all that we have is a trust from you. And so in gratitude for all your gifts, we offer you ourselves and all that we have in union with Christ's offering for us. By your Holy Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world through Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now will the ushers please come forward so that we can give of our tithes and offerings.
Our scripture reading for today is John 14, 15 through 19. You can find it on page 1,676 in your pew Bibles. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. morning. I'd like to take a quick moment to thank Craig for giving me this opportunity. I consider it an honor and a privilege to be able to speak to you this morning. It's something I don't take lightly. As children in church, one of the things we often learn in Sunday school is a little rhyme and hand illustration that goes like this. Here's the church, see the steeple, open the doors, and see all the people. It gave us the basic simplistic idea of what a church is, but what is a church really? When people refer to Memorial United Methodist Church, what exactly are they referring to? They may be referring to the buildings located at this address, but what if we didn't have the buildings anymore? That almost happened back in 1959 when fire destroyed part of the sanctuary. We see on the news where less fortunate churches lose entire buildings. In some other cases, they just outgrow their buildings and move into new ones. But through it all, the church is still the same church. It still has the same identity. So it seemed that the buildings are not the church. Is the pastor the church? When people refer to Memorial United Methodist Church, are they referring to Pastor Arthur Holt? If that's the case, does that mean that the community views our church as one bad joke after another? <laughs> Truth is, this church has had a long history of distinguished pastors. They all remain a part of this church, even if they're no longer physically present. If you walk the halls behind the sanctuary, you'll see pictures of them in the hall. But pastors come and go, and the United Methodist Church are typically rotated every four to eight years. So it seems that while the pastor will forever be a part of the church, the church is not simply the pastor. Are the people the laity? Us, are we the church? We outnumber the pastor. We're often the only experience of Memorial United Methodist Church that some in our community will ever have. We're often the only experience with Christianity that some people will ever have. An Irish evangelist named Gypsy Smith once said, there are five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian, and most people will never read the first four. So we're the most visible face that Memorial has in the community. So it seems that the people are a necessary element of the church but which people exactly are we referring to? This church has had a steady membership since 1882. Now, obviously, most of the members of Memorial throughout history are no longer with us, but they're just as much a part of Memorial as those of us sitting here today. So just like our pastors that are no longer physically here, the members of Memorial, past and present, are a part of this church. 
So it would seem that there's a part of this church that's not physical. It's the non-physical presence and identity of those from the past and present. It's a presence that will remain after all the buildings are gone and no members or pastors are physically present. Prior to the destruction of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem in 70 AD, the temple, and more specifically the Holy of Holies within it, was considered a place of the actual presence of God. Only the high priest could enter. And this concept is turned upside down by Christianity. In Christianity, we don't go to a building to be near to God. We become the building. His spirit comes to be within us. So I think an obvious question asked next is, who and what are we that he would live in us? Can we define who we or any other person is? Now, just as we reduce the church from buildings down to the people, let's see if we can reduce a human to find out who the person really is. Let's see if we can reduce Arthur Holt and find out who the person of Arthur really is. If we took away Arthur's arms and legs, would Arthur still be Arthur? We see unfortunate incidents all the time, especially in times of war where people lose limbs, but yet the person is still the same person. If we took away Arthur's hair, would Arthur still be Arthur? As I look across this congregation, I see we have many fine examples of people who've lost their hair, but yet they're still the same person. We could keep reducing Arthur limb by limb, organ by organ, looking for the irreducible Arthur, but would we ever find him? What if we removed Arthur's brain? There's a lot of jokes I could throw in right here, and I sense many of you have already come up with your own sitting right there in your chairs. I'll skip that. Some people wonder if we would even notice any difference. All joking aside, though, there have been epilepsy cases where a patient has been cured by having as much as half the brain removed. But even with just half the brain, it's still the same person. If we could play Dr. Frankenstein, we could swap Arthur's brain with Ralph Johnson's. Now, would the person we know as Arthur be with the brain in Ralph's body, or would it be the body that we recognize as Arthur? I don't think the body would be the person. Biologists tell us that all but a special minority of cells of the human body are replaced every seven to 10 years. If you're over 10 years old and you look at a picture of yourself as a newborn baby, the cells that made up the body you see in the picture are no longer with you, but yet the you you were then is still the same you you are now. So if it's not the body and it's not the brain, then what's left? If materialism, the idea that all that exists is this natural materialistic world, if that's true, then nothing of the person is left. We're all just dots on the timeline of the universe, all doomed to the same fate of eventual non-existence. But this is where the hope of Christianity comes in. We don't believe that we're simply the current accumulation of a group of atoms brought together by a cosmic roll of the dice. We believe that we have an existence that ex extends beyond this material world. We believe that there is an immaterial soul, but this soul isn't something we have, it's something we are. We don't have a soul, we are a soul. We have a body. And there may be some scientific support for this in the study of near-death experiences. And the conclusions are hotly debated right now, but there are some very interesting cases to consider. These cases document patients in cardiac arrest. The heart stopped pumping blood, and with about 10 seconds, the brain would stop functioning. In these cases, the doctors were able to resuscitate the patient 
who, when interviewed later, was able to give details of what was said and going on in the room during the time when brain activity had stopped. In some of these cases, the patient was able to give details of what was going on outside of the hospital during the time when brain activity had stopped. They were aware of things we wouldn't expect a person with no brain activity to be aware of. If these cases hold true, it would be evidence of a personal existence which is separate from the body and brain, which we call the soul. In Matthew 10.28, Jesus makes a clear distinction between the body and the soul when he says, Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-7 is one of my favorite passages of scriptures for two reasons. One is it gives the gospel message, and two, it's one of the strongest defenses against skeptics' claims that the New Testament is made up of stories and myths fabricated long after the death of Jesus. New Testament scholars, including Christians and non-Christians, agree that verses 3-7 through seven are an ancient creed. When you read it in the ancient Greek, it has a specific rhythm that's consistent with creeds, such as the Apostles' Creed that we recite. In first century Palestine, this is how stories were passed along. It was more common to pass it verbally than in written form. With no paper or pencil, no printing press, and a large amount of the population that couldn't read, formulating a creed was the best way to pass a story. Just like with our Apostles' Creed, after you recite it about 10 times, you could probably do it from memory. Now, Paul's letter to the Corinthians was written around 55 AD. That would put it around 20 or so years after the crucifixion. But this creed predates Paul's letter. He makes that clear by the way he introduces it. And scholars believe this creed was formulated no later than five years after the crucifixion. And some scholars go as far as saying it was formulated and in use within months of the crucifixion. That makes this passage the oldest known account of the gospel message. So let's read what Paul had to say. Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I proclaimed to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You were also saved by it if you hold to the message I proclaimed to you, unless you believed for no purpose. For I passed on to you as most important what I also received. Now, this is the part where the creed begins. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And we heard the words of Jesus from John 14 just a few moments ago. In the last portion of that scripture, we were told that because he lives, we will live also. When we tie that to this creed from Corinthians, we have all the hope that we need. Regardless of whatever hardship or pain we might experience, we can always have hope in our future life beyond our existence on earth. This is why our church exists. This is the message that the community should see in our church. Every charitable function, every outreach function, every training function should reflect this message. The lay people play a key role in this. We all have special God-given abilities. Paul speaks of this in Ephesians 4, 10 through 15. He writes, The one who descended is the same as the one who ascended, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the training of the saints in the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man, 
with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. There's a role and responsibility for all of us. At times I've heard Catholics say that the Protestants have eliminated the priesthood. It's actually just the opposite. Protestants have eliminated the laity, and we recognize that all Christians are a part of the priesthood. It doesn't take a pastor to start Waffle House Ministries. It just takes a person that's ready to answer God's call. In Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah tells us about his answer to God's call. He writes, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a glowing coal that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your wickedness is removed, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. Amen. Amen.